The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time, and usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. Today in episode 71, we're getting into some money talk and talking about how to pay for PA school. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Hey guys, thanks for joining me. I'm Savannah and I'm the host of the Pre-PA Club podcast and also the founder of thepaplatform.com. Now today, I'm really excited about this episode because it's something you guys asked for. You wanted to know more about the financial part of paying for PA school, which is valid and I think very wise if you are planning on going to PA school. I brought on one of our interview coaches, Hannah, to chat about this with me because she has an interest in this area and we have very different experiences as far as the type of PA schools we went to and the cost and how we paid for those. So I think you'll get a lot out of this episode and it'll help you plan for the future a little bit better and kind of understand the process of how people pay for these huge price tags that come with PA school. Now, since we're talking about money, um, what if your personal statement could get you into PA school a year early? That would be an extra year of salary. Your personal statement is what gets you the interview, and the interview is what gets you into PA school. So if you're needing help with your personal statement, check out MyPAResource.com. They're sponsoring us for this podcast, and... My PA resource is made up of a team of PAs who edit personal statements. You can use the code PREPA Club for a discount there, and you can also use the code at the PA platform too. So we want to help you out. If you have any questions about it, please, please let us know. Now let's talk about how you're going to pay for PA school. Okay, so today we're going to talk about something that a lot of you have asked us to talk about when I previously sent out an email to find out what you wanted to hear about, and that was finances, money, kind of how essentially can you pay for PA school and how do other people pay for PA school. So I have one of our coaches, Hannah, who you might remember from episode 39, who's going to join me to talk about this. And we had very kind of different experiences, but we're going to talk about what it costs to go to PA school and what some options are for paying for it, whether that's you paying for it or someone else, and give you a little bit of insight into that. Now, from the start, I want you to realize that this is a very extensive topic. There's a lot go that goes into this. Um, we are not experts. We are not financial advisors. 
So we're not going to talk logistics of how to apply for these things or what exactly a certain program covers. For that, you need to go to your registrar's office. Program websites a lot of times will have this information. They'll tell you how much a program costs, what's involved, the fees, the tuition, all of that, and how to apply for things. But essentially, we just, we can't really, everyone's situation is different. That's what we decide. You know, everyone comes from a different background financially. Everyone um, has different savings, different plans, going to different types of schools. So it's a very personalized thing, but we want you to have the resources you need to figure out the best way for you to pay for PA school. So Hannah's going to start us off with talking about just what does it cost to go to PA school? What are the fees involved? Awesome. Thanks, Savannah, and um, talking about this with you. So in regards to cost of PA school, and just as you just said, this is super extensive. There's a lot of different aspects to take into consideration um, with, you know, about 223 programs and varying private versus public programs, in-state versus out-of-state, that in general right there is going to really, you know, bring down or hike up the cost of your program. So. Um, and on at, or the median cost going back to 2015, the 15-16 um, school year was about 89,000 for a private PA program. Um, that in comparison to where I went to school, which was a, a private program, um, I was at 102,000 and that was six years ago. So clearly that's kind of undermarking some of the programs out there, hence why it's the median. Um, but then we also look at the public um, median cost and that was about 52,000. So again, stepping back and really looking at, you know, what schools are you applying to and really going onto that website. And most schools have a wonderful cost breakdown of their um, tuition, the cost expected for fees and lab coats, didactic versus clinical years, and really getting a true idea of what the cost basis is gonna be for your specific program. So just to jump in, so your 102, that was for your total tuition for the whole time you're in PA school, correct? Correct. So that's what these numbers are referring to. So the 89,000 as a median cost, that's your entire tuition fee for the two to three years you're in school. Um, and because schools are different lengths, you're going to have different amounts you owe each semester. So in comparison to Hannah's private program, I went to a public in-state program as an in-state resident. My total tuition was around $45,000 for my 27-month program. So that's a pretty big difference. Um, and it definitely makes a difference at the end, but hey, we're both PAs, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> that's another great point that you mentioned in regards to length of program. My program was a 26-month program. Um, but yeah, and definitely something else to consider is how long are you going to be at this program because that will definitely change the cost. Yeah, and I think also just for people who are maybe in the process right now of deciding what school to go to, I think cost should be a factor. I don't think it should be the only factor because you should choose somewhere where you're going to be happy. But also think about when you would start school, especially going into application season. You know, if you're able to start a program in January compared to September, I mean, you're going to potentially graduate earlier. And especially if it's a shorter program, that could essentially give you eight extra months of income, you know. And so you've got to weigh that because it might make it more financially sensible to go with the program that starts sooner if you're just looking at the cost of everything. Okay, so 
I thought this was interesting. The PAEA did a survey in 2015 of students starting PA school, and one question was, what do you expect your total debt from PA school to be? Not including personal debt, just from PA school. 21.9% um, said they expected 100 to 125,000. 20.8% said 75 to 100,000. And 14.5% said 50 to 75,000. So that's a pretty good spread um, and a lot of money. And, and I know it sounds like a lot of money. Um, and just to mention, you know, coming out of, out of school right now, the average salary for a new grad PA is around 75 to 80,000. There are a lot of factors that go into that, you know, where you live, cost of living and specialty and all of that. So that's again, an average, but, um, yeah, just to give a little kind of insight into what you're coming out expecting your debt to be and also what you can come out expecting to make as a PA. So let's talk in-state versus out-of-state. So I chose in-state and, and the cost was part of it. You know, I that price tag looked a lot better than another program I was considering that was four times as expensive when it came to tuition. Um, and when I looked at living costs and all of that, you know, and so one question, now what was your choice in kind of in-state versus out-of-state? So I knew that I wanted to go out-of-state. There was a big push for me to stay in -state. So I grew up in Georgia from, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, Atlanta. Um, there was a big push for me to stay in-state, but I've always wanted to go out-of-state and I made that decision applying to graduate schools. I picked programs specifically out-of-state. Um, and one of my biggest regrets was not taking the finance into a bigger process and not really having a full grasp of how the varying costs of the PA schools. And I didn't realize that much further into my application process um, and ultimately didn't end up taking that into consideration with my school choice and I'm paying that off now. <laughs> Yeah, so, and I think a lot of people are at this point just so, I don't want to say desperate, but they just want to get in so badly that they kind of don't look at that, and it's it's okay. I mean, I think it shouldn't, like I said, be the biggest deciding factor, but it should play a role. So one question we got in the Pre-PA Club Facebook group is, can you switch from out-of-state to in-state? So if you apply to a school that has a cheaper option for in-state residents, can you technically become a resident? Um, you know, for Georgia, I think there were a few people who were able to do this. Um, I think you have to live in Georgia for over a year and have a good amount of documentation in your name. You have to have a license and um, bills and all this stuff to show that you are truly a Georgia resident. Um, now, if you're only going to be there another year, is it worth it? I mean, you're probably saving ten to 15000 but then you're going to have to move and do all of that again, most likely. Um, so each state's going to have kind of a different different thing there. So you, your school didn't have an in-state option? Correct. So a lot of the states are very, you have to have lived in that state for one year prior, most states. And again, mm -hmm. I'm going to vary that you have to live there for one year prior to um, starting your program. Your oh, okay program. So with that being said, most of us aren't finding out that we're getting into a program until under that one year mark. And it's very specific in regards to one year. So not, you know, a, a school year, one full year. Mm -hmm. 
at that point I'd you know, missed out on that opportunity. And many schools, once you've come in as an out-of-state resident, you cannot switch to an in-state further along in your, and schools have become very strict on following this, um, looking at where you're paying your taxes, looking um, you know, where you're registered to vote. Um, so it's not so much, oh, my grandmother, or for example, my sister had lived in New York, which is where I went to school for, um, I believe she was like at about a year and a half at that point. I can't just start using her address and saying, I live here too. Um, they get a lot more than that. But it definitely is something that you really have to take the time to look at what your state requirements are and really talking to the school because some of them are willing to help make it work, especially if you do, you know, come close to qualifying. Yeah, I know. And I think that, again, is something to look at. And just from an application standpoint, if you're applying to schools, because you know that process is expensive too. That's a whole another episode. But um, I mean, if you are applying to schools, I strongly discourage applying to in-state programs if you are not a resident of that state and or if you don't have an extremely competitive application. You know, some of these schools, they accept 90% in-state residents. So my school, we had 44 people and it was 90% in-state residents. Like we had, I think, four or five people who were out of state. And that wasn't something that was like negotiable. They had a certain number of spots because they got public funding. And so you could apply there if you were out of state, but your chances compared to an in-state resident were so, so much less. And you don't really want to waste your time and money applying to a bunch of programs that you are really only competing for a few spots, if that makes Absolutely. sense. So one thing that I found really interesting that I didn't know existed um, when I applied to PA school, um, and now that I'm living out on the West Coast, was interested as, you know, I've been helping, you know, do mock interviews and watching these acceptances start to roll in, which was very exciting, um, is that a lot of states participate in regional programs. So although you may be, um, you know, from California, I know that there's a Western Regional Graduate Program that allows, you know, just if you're from California, doesn't mean that you can't go to another Western school and still get that in-state tuition. Um, so there's a regional one for the Southern region, the Midwestern and New England that I was able to find. Um, and these do apply for um, graduate school. So definitely okay. looking into and seeing if you qualify for those um, in-state uh, qualifications. Yeah, my school kind of did that because we're right on the border of Georgia and South Carolina. I went to Augusta University and so if you were from a few certain counties in South Carolina, you were considered an in-state resident awesome. for tuition purposes. So wow. that was awesome for them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and this is something that I thought was worth talking about too as far as, you know, if you were going to switch to in-state let's say that's an option for you you're going to try to become an in-state resident you know if you are still being filed on your parents taxes you may not be able to switch and you know my parents claimed me on their taxes until i got married and that was when i was 24 23 um 23 and so you know they were helping out with my school 
And as a parent helping out with my school, they got a little bit of tax benefit from that. So they wanted me on their taxes to be able to write that off and get that reimbursement or whatever they got. I don't really understand taxes. So, um, you know, they would not have probably let me switch or wanted me to unless I wanted to start filing my own taxes and paying for my the rest of my school, which I did not. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so definitely communication is key with that one with your parents. I know my parents and I went back and forth on that for a little bit um, because they can save, I think it's up to like $2,500 per tax On file. interest or something? Uh, or, so yeah. it can definitely add up pretty quickly. Um, and you also don't want to be tax fraud by both trying to file for that. So definitely have good communication if you're having involved help with from your parents in regards to payment. Definitely. Okay. So how do most people pay for PA school? So with um, the number one, you know, starting off right off the bat, you need to apply for FAFSA. So for FAFSA. That's your federal aid for, for students across the board. Um, it's kind of the best way to start, and it's broken down into direct subsidized loans and unsubsidized, or what we call offered loans. Um, they have a great website called FAFSA Forecaster, and we'll add that, um, we'll put that link up, but it predicts your ex um, expected contribution of your fees for graduate school. So in graduate school, we don't actually qualify for direct subsidized loans. That's no longer available. I think we cut it out in 2012. But basically, and a lot of um, applicants probably do have loans from undergraduate, but during undergrad undergraduate school, and you got when you got these direct subsidized loans, all that meant when you got this loan, the government was helping pay for the interest while you were in school. So that was not accruing, which is honestly a really big deal and would be really nice to have for graduate school. Um, but now really for graduate school, you can only apply for direct unsubsidized loans, also known as Stafford loans. So what that means is that you can take up to, you can borrow up to 20,500 20, um, 20, per year, I believe. Um, with, but as soon as you take out that money, you start to accrue interest on that money, and you are responsible for paying it once school, um, you know, once you get out of your program, you get a six-month leeway with that. But the interest is accruing from the moment that you receive that loan. So with that, um, let's talk a little bit in terms of what that money does. And so when you go through the FAFSA application, which I don't know for you, Savannah, but I felt like it, it's very straightforward. And mm -hmm. to name, date of birth, you know, just click and press, you know, very straightforward application. Um, but once you get approved, which is relatively easy, that money goes directly to your program. So you don't mm -hmm. ever spend the money, you don't touch the money. It goes directly into your program and it gets a, immediately applied to tuition and fees. If there's money left over from that, it falls into your room and board if you are rooming with a school. And then uh, after that, they reach out to you for permission to put it towards other charges that may come with the program. If there's still money left over from that point, then you get a check or somehow receive that money back and can use that towards your education costs. Um, and so Savannah, I'll let you take it over for a little bit and talk about your um, experience with the FAFSA and uh, a scholarship. Yeah, so I applied for FAFSA. Um, 
I didn't have any debt from undergrad, which was great. Um, Georgia has something called the Hope Scholarship, where if you qualify, and it's changed a little bit since I got it, but um, they essentially cover all of your tuition and fees. So the only thing that I had to pay for, or my parents helped me pay for in undergrad was living expenses, which was amazing. Um, and that comes with obviously keeping your grades up and all kinds of other qualifications. But um, going into grad school, I did have to take out loans. And so I took out these Stafford loans. I filled out FAFSA. Um, and I was actually the last at the tail end of when you got subsidized loans. So I had one semester where I got a little portion that was subsidized, which I am thankful for, but the rest of my loans were unsubsidized. And I took out the 20,500 per year. Now my tuition for the year was a little bit, or my fees were a little bit more than this. Um, so like I said, I ended up taking out total $45,000 in, um, well, I guess I took $40,100, um, but my tuition was $45,000. So my parents did help out with a few few thousand here and there, which I appreciate, and I was living with them, so that helped save on expenses. Um, and so these loans did end up getting interest right away. Now, you put the current rate here, which is 6.6. .6. That is a very high interest rate, just FYI. Um, I think mine was around that. You know, my supervising physician talks about her loans from medical school, and her percentage was like 1%. It's so, so low, and it has changed so much since then. Um, now, I'll talk a little bit about my experience with FAFSA because when I applied, I was awarded a scholarship randomly, and I didn't know that I was applying for scholarships, but some of them do pull your information from FAFSA. So I, about a semester into PA school, got a check in the mail for $1,500 and a little letter saying I was part of this Letty Pate Whitehead scholarship. A few other people in my class got it, but I received those checks, I think, three times during school, which was crazy. And it was just out of nowhere. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you get the check in the mail and you kind of question it. Is this real? Is this a scam? What is this? And so when I looked it up, it was a real thing. And... It's a special scholarship for women in the Southeast who are pursuing medical degrees. And um, so that was awesome. It was That helped out a ton with my fees um, and just kind of extra, extra expenses here and there. I mean, you've got to pay for equipment and all kinds of things. But... That was, that was really cool. Um, so luckily for me, I didn't have to take out any additional loans, but just to clear things up, by the way, the way that most people pay for PA school is loans, and, and that's okay. I mean, I would say there are a few extremely lucky people who maybe their parents can help them out completely, or um, they were able to save a ton of money, but for the most part, everyone's gonna have loans. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think one, you know, kind of the the bright light at the end of the tunnel is that we're going into a career where we should be making money to pay back those loans. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly rewarding and exciting because a lot of people do not have necessarily that guarantee um, when they get out of graduate school. Um, so I, I do think that it's you know, and most people have already made this decision that it is an investment that is worth making. Um, but it definitely, you really have to make sure that you're ready for that jump because it is a lot of money. And if you're not going to follow through on it, you don't want even that first 20 grand of debt sitting on you uh, if you don't make it through. So. Well, and I mentioned at the beginning before we started that um, 
when I got my loan, so I was just getting my loan money. It went straight to my tuition and fees. I never saw a penny of that. Um, I did not check my interest before or throughout school. Like, I just didn't want to know. I didn't want to look. I, I knew it was accruing interest, but I was like, I'm not going to look. Um, so towards the end of school, I finally looked. And by the time I graduated, that 40000 40, ish had turned into 75000 that I owed. Um, and that, that was a little shocking to me, but... Um, yeah, it it's what it is what it is, you know. Yeah. You just that you knew that, so it definitely stings. But the motivation to get that job, get yeah. That job. Oh yeah, I went to work right away. I was like, no vacations here. Like, put me yeah. to work. You're like mm, hospital job. I think three months to start. No, thank you. Yeah, I, I need to work now. Um, let's see. So. Um, one question was, how do you how do you know what to do? Like, how do you know how to get these loans? How do you know how to pay for this stuff? Is is this something the schools help with? So, out to the financial aid office, um, they're definitely going to point you in the direction of FAFSA first and to actually apply. Um, but they may also be aware of certain scholarships. It really depends on how involved the financial aid process, um, you know, section of your school is involved in the graduate program. I felt where I went to school, it was not as involved as it was in the undergrad program because we had a massive undergrad program. Um, but you're really able to find some of that assistance online and they can definitely at least point you in the right direction. And I think it's a great place to start. How about you? How did you go with that? Um, I felt like our school was very helpful, and I mean, the first thing they tell you to do is fill out FAFSA. I mean, they kind of tell you that, and then they give you a little bit of direction as far as loans after that. Um, what, so in your mind, and I don't know what you had to take out, what would, what would be the next step after you've gotten your Stafford loans, they've paid for your tuition and fees, but now how are you going to pay for living expenses? For the rest of it, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and definitely with the cost of my program, the 20 not carry through my full, my full fees. Um, so that's when I started to look at grad plus loans. And those loans will, they are at a higher interest rate. Um, they are at a higher fee. I believe the interest rate is about, I think it's 7.12, don't quote me on that. I'll have to double check it. Um, so it's, it is still high, but it's not 12, 13%, which you may see with some of your private loans. And this is gonna change year to year, but with the, um, with the grad uh, plus loans, they will cover for the rest of your fees for your program, minus, of course, they take a look at what other um, loans you've already received and subtract that from what they will finally give you. Um, and so that can be used towards, so for example, I was living in New York, paying for um, a studio apartment in Manhattan, um, not cheap. Uh, my sister mm. actually shared the studio apartment for a little while because of expenses and really just did whatever we could to get the costs down. But, um, you know, those fees went towards that and for food and um, those coffees that I probably should have cut out a little bit more. but. <laughs> just surviving PA school. Yeah, I mean, so when people ask, you know, how much to take out in loans, you know, you, 
you, in my mind, you want to take out the most minimal amount possible. And, and everyone's going to be a little bit different in their kind of thoughts on this. Um, cause I definitely had people in my class who ate out every single meal and I knew that they were living on loans. And then after school, usually they were the first ones to go buy a brand new car. Um, and so you have to make your own, I think, financial decisions. Um, but you want to make sure you have enough money to live on too. Yep. That's, and I think you just kind of have to learn semester through semester. I know that, you know, just some of my really close friends in PA school, we talked about this a lot and was like, how much are you taking out? And do you feel like this, you know, calculating our rent and our expenses? Um, I think it should be an open conversation because it, you know, it is the same cost to attend this program across the board. And are you kind of keeping in line with like, are you paying $2,000 more per rent than what your friend, like, do you need roommates? Should you, you know, save those expenses? And, but also just making sure um, like the cost of your stethoscope and your books and other fees are kind of keeping in line and holding each other accountable for some sort of budget to figure out what you should be taking out and trying to live off of. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and you can always take out money and then give it back. You don't have to use it all, you know, or you don't have to let it sit there. You know, if it's sitting in your savings account that makes what, like 0.05% interest or something like those, that nickel you make over six months is not going to counteract the interest that you paid on it. So this is not money that you want to take out and try to invest it's not for investing your your return is not going to be higher than your interest rates again i'm not a financial advisor but i've read enough uh white coat investor to know that that is not a good idea um definitely might be a a soapbox there now this question i wasn't sure about and you can i don't know if you your thoughts on or if you have any experience but do you know if, if people are paying back loans from undergrad if they um go into deferment? I feel like this is going to depend on where they came from. Exactly. So this is um, definitely dependent on where the loan we're talking about in terms of the subsidized loans earlier, meaning the government's paying your interest. Those, if you are enrolled in school at least half time, those direct loans will be placed into deferment. Um, And you don't have to make any payments on those until um, six months, just kind of like your other, um, your your per se new loans give you this grace period. Um, But if they're private loans, um, if you're not sure what type of loan they are, you definitely need to do the research. And even if it is a direct loan, you should still, these things are changing constantly. Um, In regards to something we didn't mention earlier, but there was a federal Perkins loan for a while and that no longer exists. So loans come in and out based on the year and you really have to do your due diligence and following up on on what's gonna happen with your specific loans. Yeah, and I mean, I think even just I mean, I love Google, who doesn't? But I mean, just kind of searching for things, you can find stuff on the PA forums and there's a lot of information out there. But again, your school is gonna be the best person to talk to. And talk to the class above you and see what they advice they have as far as what they've done and maybe mistakes they made just so you can try to avoid that. So we wanna close off um, this episode in regards to talking about refinancing. So after you've made it through PA school and you've got multiple different types of loans, possibly public and private, 
um, re really looking over those loans and more specifically the interest that you've accrued on them and the interest rates at which they're accruing. So for myself, I think I had six or seven different loans um, after the completion of PA school. And the loans really varied year by year. So I might've had one that was, I think I had a 4% loan, a 6%, a 7%. I had a 12 and a 15%. And then I had another one that was relatively low, like four to 5%. And so the first thing that, you know, I really sat down and talked with my parents about, and again, this is, I think an important aspect to remind you guys that we're not financial advisors. You really should consider speaking to someone about this, but knowing that, you can refinance these loans and basically group them together as one one specific um, total sum of money and reduce the overall interest rate so that you're paying maybe 6% on all of your loans rather than um, you know possibly that high 12 or 15% loan. And that's really going to change year to year. And as you guys, if anyone really follows the market, you've seen that this year interest rates have gone up quite a bit. They were much lower. Um, and so, you know, watching to see what they do over the course of your PA school career. But with that, SoFi is one of the refinancing. There's Earnest and Com um, Common Bond. There's many out there. But a lot of these specific programs or um, you know businesses they look at graduate students who are coming out of programs that they know are going to make a good salary and the reason why that they aim their businesses towards us is because they know if you're making a good salary you should be able to pay off your debt that you shouldn't um, you know become bankrupt and you know go out on your loans. So with that, they're really willing to work with you and set a low interest rate in comparison to what you've been sitting on for the past, let's say 26, 27 months. Um, so it's definitely something to you know look at multiple of these different um, options and companies to see what the lowest possible interest rate you can get um, so that you can ultimately start paying off these loans and with that, paying off as little interest as possible. Yeah, and I mean, so I only have federal loans, so I was not able to refine, so I kind of looked into it. Um, and with some of the kind of repayment or federal programs, if you do end up refinancing your loans, um, they kind of lose eligibility for some of that. So you really have to look at it, think about it, talk to someone who knows what they're talking about, like a financial advisor, before you decide to do that. Um, and I have heard really good things about the the SoFi, Sophie, I don't know how you say it, um, about that one. <laughs> um, but anyway, so another thing that people sometimes talk about is, um, and this is just a way to pay back your loans afterwards, is will jobs pay for your loans? You know, is there a way for a school, or not a school, but actually your employer, your supervising physician to pay back your loans or help you out with those. And, you know, it's, it's not out of the question. I've heard of it happening in my mind. You never know until you ask. And so when you're in your contract negotiations, why not throw it out there, you know, see if there's options for some loan repayment. Um, usually the way I've heard it working is, you know, if you're there for a year, you get a certain amount or two years or three years, um, that goes straight towards your loans, um, or it's given as a bonus for your loans, essentially. So that's something to think about it. Does it happen that often? I don't think so. Um, didn't happen for me, but you know, 
why not ask? You never know. So, anyway. Um, well, I think that wraps it up for this part. We'll kind of definitely have to go into more details about money stuff because it's a little bit more involved than we even anticipated. But um, I think it's good to talk about it, and I think it's kind of good to get it all out there. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.